This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. And joining us, you've seen her in some commercials. She's been in a Kotex commercial. I saw her in an Adidas commercial. She is out there living her fabulous life. She is the author of Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance. Huh. Let me welcome internationally acclaimed voice and wellness, Jessamine Stanley. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. How's your day going today? It's, it's awesome. And thank you for asking. And that's the, the one and only Madame Tanya Pinkins in the, in the, in the building. Tanya. How's it going? Yes. Yes. And, and who's, who's your friend there? Let me see. Let me oh, see. Lord, I didn't know y'all could see him. This see is Baby Shark. <laughs> oh, it's he a chihuahua. Just, yeah, he's a little mini chihuahua. He's how old are you? Like six? Somewhere six, seven years old. But everybody Very, always thinks he's so young. And I'm cute. like, he drank from the fountain of youth. That's right. He's black. Black don't crack. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, that's a black exactly dog. Exactly right. That's right. It's a Negro dog, <laughs> and he's, he's all of that. All right. So thank you for knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Jasmine, um, your your journey into yoga because uh, mm-hmm. you know, for for many black people. And I've, I've heard this a lot, you know, especially those of us in the church, you know, that's, that's some devil worship. You doing something that ain't you talking about some own <laughs> and all that. Who you praying to Jasmine? This is, thank you. Literally. This is like what I hear from everybody in my family. It's like, what are you talking about? Yoga for real? Um, no, I always thought that yoga was just for thin white women, honestly. And, um, I was, I had tried it once when I was in high school and just absolutely hated it. I was like, this is awful. And so anyone who says like, yeah, I've been to yoga. I don't know why you're into it. I feel them completely because I felt that way. But when I was in graduate school, I was just going through a rough time in my life. And uh, a friend of mine, she was really into yoga and she was like, oh my God, you should come. It's going to change your life. And I was like, I'm absolutely not doing that because I knew I, I knew I didn't like it. I knew it wasn't for me. And she got me caught up on a Groupon. That's the only reason that I ended up going in the end. I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I'll go one time and then I don't. It's I paid this money. I'll be fine. I just won't go back. But um, when I went, it was a very alienating experience. Like I was certainly one of the only black people, definitely one of the only fat people. I really, none of the postures felt accessible to me at all. Everything seemed impossible. Even just to sit with my legs crossed seemed impossible to me. But I didn't realize how many times in my life I told myself I wasn't allowed to do stuff. Like I would be like, no, I can't do that. I can't go for it. And like, I found myself in this yoga class, looking at myself in the mirror, looking at everyone else practicing and thinking like, you know, I shouldn't even be here. Like everybody knows I shouldn't be here. Everybody knows I don't know what to do. And then I would just be like, you can still try. Even though you think like you can't practice the postures like everyone else and the teacher can see it and everyone in here knows, you can still just try. And this was before I even understood, like, I was not open to the spirituality of yoga at all at this stage, because honestly, I was like, should we even be practicing this? This is the way that I had come to understand it. It was through like a South Asian gaze. So I was like, should we, should people who are not South Asian even be practicing this? And at that stage, I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this because it makes me feel good. And it makes me more connected to myself. 
And I don't know what that means in a larger sense, but I'm just gonna keep at it. And that is honestly why I still practice. It is my medicine. I just come to it as a way to be able to connect with myself and to be able to uh, be present in my life. When was, when I, was that, that aha, that, that light bulb? Mm-hmm. All right, so it wasn't that first time because you were still doubt, 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 Definitely doubt. Definitely not. Deep doubt. I, so, okay. I started practicing and I, it gave me a lot of confidence. I was in graduate school. It gave me the confidence to take a leave from graduate school to move to Durham, North Carolina, where I live now. And to Durham, I could not afford to be practicing yoga in studios. And I stopped practicing for a period of time. And during that time, a bunch of sad stuff happened. Uh, I talk about it a little bit in my book, my first book, Everybody Yoga, but um, it's, just the things that happen in life, people pass on, you are reacting to that. And um, I found myself slipping back into the place that I'd been in before I started practicing yoga. And I was like, what was making me feel good before yoga? Okay, I just got to figure out a way to do this from where I am right now. And so I would just I was living in, me and my partner were sharing this tiny apartment. I would like push all the furniture out of this one corner of the apartment and roll out. I had my dad's old Pilates mat. I rolled out that mat and I would just practice the few yoga postures that I was familiar with that I felt like it was okay for me to do at home. And that that's what really became my medicine. And it was something that like, it was beyond, oh, I got to make sure that I go to class every day. It was literally like, I'm just going to do this because I don't, I'm not looking for like, changes in my body or anything I'm like I feel bad and then I do these things and now I feel better and I'm just going to keep doing it so I would say that that was probably about a year after I started practicing yoga and I think that personally I'm reconnecting to that feeling every time I come to the mat but the thing that I've noticed is that and this is really what yoke my yoga of self-acceptance is about is that yoga is not just happening when you're on your yoga mat it's happening in every part of your life and being open to the same things that the postures offer when you're in a challenging experience in the other parts of your life or when you're being forced to reckon with the different pieces of yourself that's when the yoga is really um it's really changing your outlook and making space for evolution that might not be possible otherwise. Yoga is a verb for you, not a mm. noun. Mm. It is all and. It is both and. Yoga is a doing and it's also a being. I call it, so the book is called Yoke because that is like my definition of how, that's how I would define practicing yoga. Yoga means union, ultimately. It means to bring together. And it's about bringing together these different parts of yourself. The good, I think of it as like the good, the bad, and the ugly of yourself. And especially being able to see that without the darkness within yourself, there could not be any light. And that union, I call it yoking, like like yoking two things together and that is a verb but at the same time it's also it's a noun it's it's really something that I think defies what words can offer us I know the first time I did yoga was a was a it was called a hatha yoga when I was in high school and I loved it 
And then when I came to New York, people were doing these very athletic yogas and I've just never been athletic. And so that peaceful thing was gone. And, and then every time I would get into a class, it was, it was like gymnastics. And, and I have rarely been able to get back to the Hatha yoga, which is the gentle breathing, being present with yourself, going slowly. I, I briefly did some Bikram, like I did, you know, that 76 consecutive days of Bikram. And for me, part of that practice was just, can I stay in the room? Some days I wouldn't do any postures. It was stay in the room. That was my yoga. Right. That is exactly right. Literally. I think that being able to, and the heat in the Bikram practice, the heat is such an interesting lesson in and of itself. The broom is heated to like a hundred to 104 degrees and you're in that space. And it's literally like your immediate, or at least my immediate reaction to that is I have to get out of here. I cannot do this anymore. And that just being able to spend 90 minutes really considering, huh, do I really have to get out of this space? Where is that coming from? Is that something that I do? Is this the only place in my life where I'm trying to get out of discomfort? I doubt it. it. Seems like it's probably happening a lot of other places. And it's challenging so much of yourself. And that's why I always think like whenever people, a lot of people have had negative experiences with yoga because of this obsession with physicality and athleticism and fitness and all this stuff that really has absolutely nothing to do with yoking the light and the dark within yourself. It's not, you could practice every living is a posture. So it really doesn't matter what shape your body is taking, but being able to like, just sit in the hardness of it, the, the, uh, the complexity of it, that Even the is joy. what yoga People, really is. The joy, because that is what joy. comes from all of that is joy. It is the, an explosion of joy. That's. I think sometimes um, there's confusion over like, because you'll be like, no, there's so much beauty in the present moment. And people are like, what are you talking about? There's not, there's so much chaos going on at all times. What are you talking about? And it's like, when you're pressed to the wall, when, and everybody knows this feeling, when there's no, when there's no other recourse, you have to smile. There's nothing else to do but smile in that place. And it's yoga is just a million different opportunities to experience that. And I, and I think of the Zen koan about the man who's being chased by the tiger and he's coming up on a cliff and he you know leaps over the cliff and holds onto a branch and there's the tiger getting ready to like you know, either claw him or destroy the branch. And he sees a strawberry just out of reach and in his last moment, he just reaches for that strawberry. Tanya Pinkers is here. It is Wellness Wednesday and the great Jessamine Stanley. Is it Jessamine or Jessamine? That it's Jessamine. It's like if Jessica and Jasmine had a baby, they had Jessamine. They had Jessamine. Okay, Jessamine. Stanley. Her book, her new book, Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance. You have seen her, a very zoptic woman who can bend and twist and turn like a pretzel, stick legs in places they should not be, but somehow she has managed it all in that body. Talk about the challenges, if there are mm. any, and how do you reconcile with the word fat? Mm. You know, reclaiming the word for myself has been a journey that... I really probably would not have preferred to take. I just really, I mean, I've always been fat. It's something that I felt a lot of, I felt very self-conscious of my whole life. And I used to be obsessed with losing weight. This was like the focus of my life was 
How can I get smaller? And there was a point when I was in college where I started to engage with some fat acceptance writers and thinking specifically of Marianne Kirby and Leslie Kinzel. And I remember they used to do this podcast called Two Whole Cakes, and they would talk about fat acceptance. And that as a concept seemed so crazy to me. Like, I I was like, we're allowed to accept this body. You're allowed to say, I'm good. I'm happy here. And on top of that, that I should not receive critique from other people. And so I, as a part of that journey for myself, I started calling myself fat because I felt like the word fat is often defined as stupid or ugly or just generally not worthy. And I mean, I grew up, I'm of fat women like I always I'm of fat black women this is something that I've never and like when I look back on it I'm like I feel like my mother and my aunts and my grandmother they really created an environment where I was allowed to accept this body and it's because of white supremacy and the gaze that I was that I felt anything other than that and so being able to say like yes I'm fat that feels like taking the weapon from someone who is trying to hurt me. And I think that the fact that we even need to have this conversation is further proof of why it is um, important for that kind of personal activism to happen. Because I think that there is a, I think there's a commonly held belief that like you should not call yourself that. That's that's not good. And, and I think even, I notice sometimes people will say like, she's a self-proclaimed fat femme. Like, they're like, I didn't say it. I don't know. Like, is it like you said it? I didn't. And I'm like, I feel you. And I think that ultimately like that journey is, it's very personal. It's for me. And I don't think that, I think that when some people use the word fat, that they are using it with malice. They are using it in this way that I was saying, like to make somebody feel bad. And I think that that's up to them. And I think that it's each individual's decision how they are going to let that kind of viewpoint affect them. And for me, just being able to own it for myself and love it and understand that I can be fat and I can be well, I can be fat and I can be beautiful, I can be fat and I can, all of these things can exist together. And um, that- I think it's cultural too. helps a lot. It's, it is it's, very cultural. It's very cultural yes. because in many of the African nations to have a woman who is, the bigger your wife is, the more wealthy you are. We, we think of exactly. the early European art. We think of Botero. There are cultures for whom the bigger the woman is, the better. But there's something about Americans' culture. And I remember watching a documentary where fat is like a, it's a four-letter word here. And they asked children and children would rather be disabled than fat in America. And for me, I grew up very skinny. People used to call me chicken legs. And then I grew into myself and I had an incredible body that would stop traffic. And I remember, so I call myself fat. Nobody likes for me to say I'm fat. But you know, when you were used to being really, really thin, there was something violating about having people undress me all the time with my clothes on. And now that I'm bigger, that doesn't happen. And there's this kind of power I feel that I have. It's like, oh, you're not thinking of having sex with me now. So now you're actually dealing with me as a human being. And I like that. 
<laughs> yes, that's, you know, it is so interesting the ways in which we dehumanize others. And I think it always comes down to dehumanizing ourselves. And that's something that I always, anytime that there's some kind of negative feedback or like someone's like, has anything to say about be me being fat or anyone like all of these different things I'm like they really hate themselves ultimately and there's so much I can get that I feel that I think that on a base level anyone can get that and really being able to understand that like yeah I've felt that way before it allows me to feel compassionate toward other people and I think that um that's all of these things because like I think there's, we live in a culture where like, you think you're doing well if someone is sexualizing you. Like you think that that becomes the goal. It's like, please like show, because it's like, we're all looking for love outside of ourselves. And like, if it, you're looking to literally anyone to give this feedback that and is ultimately I grew up only and my family used inside. to say that my daddy used to say nothing wants a bone but a dog. And I, I took these <laughs> psychology classes and it was amazing, this therapist who was teaching us talked about all these alpha men that were her clients and how they had these you know, stick figure women, the trophy women. So they had these trophy wives who were living on lettuce, but they were sleeping with somebody else. This is still a thing, <laughs> they're still doing that. You know, they got the trophy, but they're sleeping oh, yes. with somebody with some meat, something you can, you can mm -hmm. hold and hold in your hands and feel. And you know, the female body is beautiful. Doesn't need to look like a, a hanger. <laughs> In every form, it is perfect. We are all exactly as we need to be. I love that because if you look like a hanger, you love that. That's your that's your body. It's yours, right? I mean, you get this one Literally. thing, I, and I say, you know, you you have this one body until you aren't on this part of the world anymore, spiritually, right? Exactly. So exactly. if you can spend most of your life not loving this thing, this body that you're in you know, how, how small a life are you living? Literally a very small one. Like, I mean, but you know, again, to, to something we were talking about off air, I feel like, you know, it's all the yoga. All of this is the reason that we're here having these experiences, having these reflections. Like, I think the, the key now is for us as a society to link our practices together so that we can start doing some of the healing work that's really needed on a macro scale. And that's what I think the, in talking about uh, any yoga of self-acceptance, it's really just something that is able to link into a, a collective experience of healing so that we can all move forward together, stronger, better. Are you optimistic? You sound like you are. Uh, Jessamine is here, Jessamine. Uh, Stanley, <laughs> her book is Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance. You sound very optimistic. You smile a lot. <laughs> I'm a realist. I think that it's, I think it's going to get really bad before it gets good. That's what I know. I know. Wait, know. wait. So Tanya's leaving the country, right? Because I'm like, I'm like. <laughs> you real one. That's what, scope that's it out. Decision. Scope it out because we might need to wait this out for a minute because stuff, I think so too. What is what is really bad? Look, I got a gun. I got a gun in New York City, but I don't really want to have to kill people, but I will. You're going to do what you got to do. That's the reality of it. But it's all a part. It's all unfolding. Everything is where it needs to be. It is. It sucks. A lot of it is not good at all. But I think that we can only ever be 
evolving into something better, but I think it will be very bad along the way. And I think we're always, I think the world is, Michael Beckwith used to say it, it's falling together. The world is falling together. Yes, that is the truth. That's exactly right. It's, it is, Bessie, yes, please, please, please. No, no, no. Um, you know, you, you also have a podcast, right? Uh, several people are already saying that they're listening to it. It's amazing. Uh, you're the founder of Underbelly, which is a wellness app and a community. So Underbelly, we're going to tweet that out. Uh, your podcast, Dear Jessamine, uh, yes. tell us about that. And I see this, uh, you're in the cannabis space. I could tell, I was going to ask you if you, yeah. if you, because uh, it looks like we might be heading towards legalization. I see Chuck Schumer is meeting with the president to talk about that. the federal, which has to happen. It yeah. does. You know, I, so what, well, yes. So my podcast, Dear Justin, is really about this. It's about the yoga of everyday life and it, through the lens of relationships and how the people that we're in relationships with, I mean, starting with the relationship we're in with ourselves, but especially any partners, they're all teaching us about how to show up in this whether that's good bad or ugly and so dear Justin is about all of that but I do I do use cannabis and I talk about it because I recognize that my silence makes me complicit in a system that allows for people to make billions of dollars off while many people remain incarcerated for the exact same thing and so I feel like if we all are individually aware of that and see that even if you're not a cannabis user that being aware of that problem in our society can it can help a lot of other people and it, it's really the linchpin I think in social justice and the freedom of black and brown people but I I am excited I saw that um, Chuck Schumer was going to check in with Biden I guess about decriminalization and I'm I'm glad to see that because I think the decriminalization is extremely important and more important I would say than legalization but I think that um the there's so much that needs to be done to make sure that the legacy of war on drugs is really acknowledged and that there can be that deep healing that's necessary there's so much that needs to happen for that to happen that I'm like I'm keeping an eye on them I got one eye open I'm like I see what y'all doing we gonna see. How how long did it take for you to do a he- handstand or a headstand? Oof. Many years. Okay. Um, All I right, because I was feeling some ways. Yeah. I was like, I should be able to do that. What what did <laughs> I know? You were a cheerleader and all of this stuff. No. I'm like, how <laughs> barely? How? I, yeah, know, but you know the thing we were talking about before. a headstand. So the headstand that's a, a kind of balance. So. Where else in your life is this balance thing? You know, where else in your life, Karen, is the balance thing off? Everywhere. What are you talking about? Well, but 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 that's your yoga. That's your yoga. Your headstand (laughs) is is a is a mirror of that same balance other places. That is exactly right. And I mean, I also think that the inverted posture, anytime that you go upside down it's challenging this fear of falling and which I translate as a fear. Come on, internet, I rebuke it. Hold on, hold on, you gotta repeat that. We lost you. You gotta repeat it. I rebuke the internet in the name of Jesus. All right, the the upside down is a fear of falling. (laughs) 
it's a fear of falling that I always think of as a fear of failure. So that when you are trying to go into the posture, if it starts to like you're going up into headstand, you're like, oh my God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. That's that moment of where else in my life do I tell myself I can't do it? What's going on? And it's this whole, anytime that you see me practicing a headstand, it is a whole therapy session, like a whole therapy thing is happening. All right, so I don't think Karen fears failure. I don't. I was gonna say that's not my problem. It's it's my bad knees uh, and falling. Like literally, I'm shaky standing up. So you putting it upside down. Now we got so. But so, what's that process though? Like what? What? Mm. How do you get into? And what's the? What was the hardest? Was that the hardest move for you to master? Hmm. Well, I never think that I've mastered anything. I feel like everything is in flux. I'm just every day is a new thing practicing headstand today and I was just like wow this is amazing I do think that there is a lot of core strengthening that has to happen so a lot of plank poses and forearm plank pose that's honestly I think that can be the practice for a solid year is just doing plank postures and then transitioning that into opening up the hamstrings and the hips because when the pelvis is tight it makes it hard to align all of the joints on top of one another Mm. but once the one Once the pelvis is open and the hamstrings are open from that place and the core is feeling strong and the shoulder girdle is open. So all of these things, I mean, it's just, I think you just have to commit to the journey of it and just be like, I'm just going to be doing this and I don't care if I ever go upside down. It's not a big deal. But once that happens, then you start to get into that fear of falling and the fear of falling is so intense. Everybody has it. It's like, but I think that when, again, when you just commit to the journey and you just say, I'm just going to do, and you, you remember that child that's inside of you, you know, that kid that's inside of you. That's like the kid that would just turn cartwheels up the block just cause like no one that would race somebody up the street just cause that that kid is still inside of you and that's who really needs to come out to play to make the postures accessible what's your routine your, take us on your daily mm. what, do you, what do you do when you get up what do you mm. well it kind of well I would say it kind of varies but it really doesn't I do I wake up I will do whatever my practices are going to be for that day whether it's um postures or meditation or um that, that's been a big, the bulk of my practice, I would say recently, um, but also journaling, also tarot, and I'm constantly checking my astrology and the, cur- the current sky just to know what's going on and the stars. And um, then, and also around that You're time, I like to have, I'm a cancer, <laughs> would you, how'd you guess? I just, no, I looked, I'm I looked it up, it's, it's available. <laughs> Which are deck are you pulling from? June 27th. I don't I know. A couple. No, June 27th. What, what, what are your decks? So what are your decks that the, you work with? The deck that I really love right now is called Mystic Mondays. And it is, it's like a more, I don't really know how to explain it. It's like, it's, they, I think they bill it as like a modern deck, but I don't know what that even really means. It's just, I just feel at home with it. It feels nice to me. Um, I also have a um, 
Marseillais deck, which I don't prefer. It's what it's what I learned on. And this is the interesting thing. So I I actually I talk about this a little bit in yoga, talk about rituals and how um, this is one of my rituals. But I was first introduced to Tarot through my aunt, who also is the first person who took me to a yoga class. She gave me my first deck when I was in either middle or high school. I can't remember exactly how old. And I just, she was like, you need to be like, just look to the cards anytime that you have a question. And I was like, man, I don't want this fruity stuff. I am not into this. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care. And it's only been in like the last 10 years that I'm like, just like everything else, she was right. She always, they're always Mm -hmm. right. Everybody always knows. And so i I feel like that so much, so many of these practices are like, if I had listened to the people who knew what I need when I was younger, I think I would have come to these practices earlier. Cause even my mother has always been interested in wellness and she was talking about echinacea and green smoothies way before it was like a trendy thing to be talking about. She told me about um, Diane Bondi and Anna Guest jelly like the the og fat yogurt oh okay well look at look at that uh jessamine oh we we gotta go we gotta go we're gonna get cut off the book is called yoke my yoga of self acceptance you are amazing thank you for being here today you're amazing thank you thank you for having me thank you